And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I am Andy Bitter the Virginia Tech football beat writer for The Athletic and your host of Atlantic and Coastal coming back for another week here. Thank you to everybody who's been listening along, uh, Spotify, Apple, everywhere you find podcasts. Uh, we really appreciate the feedback on there. Go on there, give us a, a review, You know, recommend the podcast to other people. It helps us get the word out. And we're going to continue to bring in great guests here, uh, not just from The Athletic. We're going to branch out as well. We got the worldwide leader, uh, coming on to the show this week, Andrea Adelson from ESPN. Uh, she primarily covers the ACC, and I say primarily because you do branch out, uh, and you branched out recently with this David Shaw story uh, with his, his brother Eric, a rare form of lymphoma. Uh, David providing a bone marrow transplant uh, was an awesome story. Uh, start to finish, uh, riveting story to read. Uh, also did a little video feature with it. Do you do a lot of those at ESPN, or is that branching out a bit? Thank you, Andy. I really appreciate the kind words. I was branching out a little bit. Usually, uh, college game day relies on people like Tom Rinaldi and all the terrific television folks who put together all those wonderful profiles uh, for the show. In this case, though, I talked to David Shaw several months ago for a story about what he did on week one without football. And Throughout the conversation, it came up that he had saved his brother's life with this bone marrow transplant. And because it was a story that I had uncovered, uh, they allowed me to do the television uh, piece, and it was a wonderful experience. Well, that's awesome. Rinaldi is not the only person that can make people cry when they're watching a, a feature like that. Let's talk ACC. We are recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, there have already been massive cancellations and games shuffling around. I don't know how many games are going to have on Saturday. Are we going to have games on Saturday? I hope so. There, there's five listed, but uh, they've been dropping like flies the last couple days. I think there will be games. I don't know how many games. And I don't think any of us from now until January, really, are going to know how many games are going to get in to finish off the college football season. It is... It's difficult to know because as the cases around us continue to rise, that has a direct result on what happens with athletic events. And before I came on with you, I was remembering back to the summertime when all these coaches and administrators were urging people to please wear masks so we can have a football season. And now we have a football season and the coronavirus is starting to spike again. I feel like we need more PSAs reminding people to wear masks in order for there to be a conclusion to the football season. 
Yeah, it would be nice. This week, the ACC shuffled six games around. Uh, Miami had a bit of a COVID outbreak uh, down there. It's two games had been pushed back, and that affected other stuff being moved around. Late last night at like 1030, not the time you usually see news breaking on this kind of stuff. Wake Forest and Duke will not be played this weekend. Uh, we'll see if that gets made up. Uh, you know, Miami last week was cutting it really close to whether or not it was going to play against Virginia Tech. You spoke to Manny Diaz and he, he called the situation ominous, uh, you know, where this is going in the country and you see the, the cases spiking straight up. And, you know, I experienced a little bit with this Virginia Tech earlier this year around Labor Day and students coming back and there was a spike there and Southwest Virginia was really in it. And, you know, at the time, I think people were like, oh, get your act together, Virginia Tech and, and stuff like that. It's really it's it's society and everything around football programs they're just part of it i i feel like we got to stop blaming football programs and for the most part people are not but uh you know speaking to 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 manny and him calling this ominous like where are we going to see more of this coming up is the acc going to be able to finish you know what it started I, i don't think they've had a game that they've lost yet they've made up stuff at the end but uh, you know, running out of weeks to make this up. Is this going to be sort of a messy finish to the season, do you think? Yes, I think it's going to be a, a messy finish to the season. And in the Wake Forest-Duke game, for example, they did not announce a rescheduled date. So that one may not get played. It might, depending on what happens with other games toward the end of the season. But there is a reason they did not list a rescheduled date for that game, at least for right now, all the other ones that were pushed back are able to be rescheduled, but who knows if they'll even be played on the date they got rescheduled to. A lot of that's all going to depend on what's happening on these specific campuses and inside the facilities. And one thing that I think is important to note in talking to Manny Diaz, Dabo Sweeney, who obviously dealt with this with Trevor Lawrence, They are finding that the transmission isn't happening inside their facility. It's happening once the players leave. And if you have folks around you in your community who aren't following the same strict protocols that your players are following, then you're starting to put yourself at risk. And one of the interesting things Manny told me was our players are being held to this high standard. They have to wear a mask at all times. They have to physically distance. We're asking them not to go out to large gatherings, wash their hands, everything that all the medical advisors have asked them to do. But yet the people in the community feel like they can go to the CVS without CVS without a mask on. And so that's where the huge challenge is for coaches in telling their players, please, please, please adhere to these guidelines when they're being asked to do it. And the people all around them maybe are not. Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting. You know, I was sort of critical of the ACC for starting when it started the season, but it looks like they had perhaps the best plan of all the Power Five conferences. Didn't wait too late and you know leave all the 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 makeup dates. You know, the, the Big Ten's got like seven straight weeks of games, and if they they lose one, the game's canceled. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was a mistake that the ACC to start right after Labor Day and, you know, students coming back, that was going to be a problem. But as it turns out, you know, leaving those two open weeks has been very beneficial uh, to the conference. They've been able to make up a lot of games, haven't lost one yet. I think they will before the end of the season. I think that's going to be inevitable. But uh, of all the Power Five leagues, I think they've done a pretty good job of that. I'm curious, you know, you talk to a lot of coaches, you talk to a lot of players around the league. 
how stressful is this for them? I mean, I've, we've spoken with Justin Fuente and he says, you know, three times a week, you know, they get uh, a possibility they could get tapped on the shoulder and say, you're out. You know, just, you know, they don't even know if they're sick at that point. It could, it could happen. And they've been doing this for three to four months now. Uh, that's got to be hard. And, and there's some sacrifices that these guys have to make in terms of maybe not going home for Thanksgiving like they normally would. Uh, if this is going to extend through the bowl games, maybe not going home for Christmas like they would. Uh, is this worth it for a lot of these players? And can you see them keeping this up to say, you know, go play in the military bowl or something like that around Christmas? I mean, are some of these bowl games perhaps in danger of, of maybe not getting played? I am so glad you asked me this question because I'm working on a story specifically talking to players about, okay, what actually is it like for you every day? What do you have to go through? What are the challenges here? How different is it this season than any other season? And look, they're being tested three times a week. Practices are different. They're being asked not to visit relatives, not to go home, to follow all of these protocols. And as Manny Diaz told me, you could do the right thing for 21 days, but you don't get to bank up that goodwill. If you forget to do something on the 22nd day, that could end up putting yourself and your teammates in jeopardy. So they're asking a lot of these players on a daily basis. And you know, Manny described the scene for me at Miami when they come in on Sundays, the first thing they do, two swabs up the nostrils so that they can get their testing after games. And then they get the results back on Monday. And it's always a nerve wracking experience for everybody, players and coaches waiting on your cell phone to ding, to tell you whether you've been positive or, um, or you're cleared. So it's, it's extremely grueling and difficult. Travel is completely different. There's no such thing as team meals anymore. Um, the, the, uh, the configuration of the airplanes are different. Configuration on the buses are different. It's just a unique season. And I've asked several people, is it worth it? And they said, I'm only going to say yes, because the players wanted to play. And even though the players are being asked to do all of this, the players still want to play. Now, yes, we've seen some opt-outs. We've seen some guys decide it's not worth it for me anymore. But for the most part, these players still want to play. They want to take the sacrifice on because they're not going to have a lot of endless opportunities to play football. So they still want to try and do it. And what the postseason is going to look like, your guess is as good as mine, but I've already seen a report from El Paso. They might not be able to play that bowl game this year because the coronavirus situation in that city right now is catastrophic. It, part of me wonders, do we need to even go to the bowl sites this year? Yep. I mean, it's not like the cities are benefiting from fans coming in. It's not like the players on these teams get to go there and enjoy the city for five days like they normally do. I mean, really, they're just doing it for the TV money at this point. And if that's the case, why not just play it on a campus site? Why not remove the travel component for one of the teams and have somebody else come in there, play it on TV, call it the Sun Bowl, the Sun Bowl from Blacksburg or something like that. I mean, perhaps the sun will be out that day. Uh, I've been to the Sun Bowl before. It's it's pro probably not much warmer in El Paso than it is in Blacksburg that time of year. That's a misnomer about the Sun Bowl. It's often very cold there. But, uh, you know, if, they, if they're just kind of doing this for the TV money, I feel like there's a way they could do these bowl games and not have to travel for them or, or put players at risk by going to these cities, right? There's already been discussion about shortening up the bowl week if it's going to be at the bowl sites where you're basically treating it like a normal road game. You go in maybe 
a day early, get accustomed to the surroundings, go play your game, and then go home. And I wonder why the college football playoff is not considering this as a measure for saving the playoff. You know, they don't need to be there for six days. There's been a lot of talk about how are they going to do the playoff? Well, I mean, why can't they just treat it like a regular road trip? I think the both teams will survive if they're at the bowl site as if they were traveling to go play somebody in their conference. So I think that's something that is on the table and that would allow all the players to be safe on their campuses, do all the testing on their campuses, test when they arrive at the bowl site, play the game and then go home. Speaking of the playoff, two teams in the ACC seem like they have a pretty good shot. I, you know, Notre Dame's first place here, seven and zero in the ACC Clemson six and one, you know, I'm looking at tiebreakers, and that, yeah, I really don't see a way that somebody else gets up into that. Are we just sort of? I, I don't want to say resign because I'm looking forward to this rematch in Charlotte if this is actually what happens. But are we just kind of down this road where it, that's sort of what the ACC title game is going to be, barring something you know completely unforeseen? That's what I'm prepared for. And I think that's what most folks are prepared for. And what's funny is everyone talked about what a great boon this was going to be for the ACC having Notre Dame come on board. And yes, it's been beneficial and they can potentially claim two teams in the playoff, but it's really the same old ACC. It's Clemson. All right. Yeah. Notre Dame, but it's everybody else after that. It's so muddled behind them. And, you know, for Miami, which is third and might have an outside chance, but their chances are extremely difficult because they already lost to Clemson. You know, they're ranked where they are as a function of the rest of college football, quite honestly. I, I don't know that a lot of us are going to sit here and say that's absolutely the top 12 team based on what we've seen out of Miami. So, you know, the ACC is still looking like the ACC and Notre Dame adds some extra special value on the flip side of it, of course, is if you're Notre Dame and, and, you were not in the ACC, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about an ACC championship. You finish undefeated, you're in the playoff. Uh, but I, I still feel as if uh, if Clemson wins that game, uh, Notre Dame is probably going to have a terrific shot to finish number four uh, and make it in anyway, which uh, you know, we can look at it the other side, right? Oh, they can get in as a one-loss team, which may not have happened otherwise. Notre Dame is off this week. Clemson is as close to being off this week as possible. They're playing at Florida State. Uh, with the, is this embarrassing at all for the ACC if Notre Dame comes in here for one season, just this you know, carpetbagger comes in one season, sweeps through the league, wins the title, and then you know goes off into the sunset back to its football independence? That's maybe a little bit embarrassing or a black eye for the league if that happens, right? This is why I'm going to say it's not embarrassing. The ratings on Saturday for Notre Dame, Boston College were higher than the Masters. So that really says all we need to know about Notre Dame and the value that they're bringing to the conference. You know, this was a mutually beneficial agreement for both parties. Notre Dame could go ahead and fill a schedule and not have to worry about what was happening with some of the other teams that they were going to be playing. And then the ACC could get tremendous value uh, with the television deal and bringing Notre Dame on for 10 games as opposed to five. So I, I don't really think it matters what happens in the end, whether having Notre Dame in for a year and then saying goodbye to them is going to be a black eye or not. I think they're just benefiting from the partnership right now. I know Pat Narduzzi 
came out uh, with some interesting comments a few weeks ago and said, either you're in or you're not. And let's just make a final decision on this. But Notre Dame's going to call the shots on that. And if they decide we're good after a year, everyone we will see you for our five game partnership. The ACC is just going to nod their heads and say, yep, sure. Whatever you say, Notre Dame. It's such a ridiculous position. The Narduzzi one is like in or out as if like the ACC holds any of the cards in this whole thing. And also like, oh, by the way, you know, not this year, but every other year, whenever Notre Dame comes to your stadium, the ADs don't mind when they're selling out those games and they've got primetime, you know, TV slots and stuff like that. I still think it's a little bit embarrassing for the league that, if, you know, the Notre Dame comes in and it's like, all right, we'll come in for one year. We'll win it. Then we'll leave. And that'll be that, and, uh, you know. You don't want to. I think. I think maybe people in the league would be hoping that Clemson can, you know, save the league's honor here and win the ACC tournament or ACC title game in a couple weeks. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. There were two games last week that I thought were really interesting that I feel like are worth going back and going over. Uh, The first one... Just an incredibly entertaining game. North Carolina beating Wake Forest 59-53. to It wasn't Roy Williamson's best performance offensively. Wait, nope, this is football. This was a football score that was out there. Uh, I was covering a game at the time, but I was watching this on the score tracker. And like every time I look at it, I'm like, somebody is running for like an 80-yard touchdown. Uh, you know, 1,348 yards combined, 112 points. Sam Howell, 550 yards, six touchdowns. Were you watching this as it was going on and just like what is going on in this game? This has got to be the most unbelievable game to watch. Full disclosure, I had Miami, Virginia Tech on my big screen TV. I grew up in South Florida, so default usually is Miami somewhere on the big screen. So I got Wake, North Carolina uh, on the other one because I thought it was going to be a great game, actually. I picked Wake to win. And as I'm watching the scoring and I'm looking up at Miami, Virginia Tech. Nothing's really happening in Miami, Virginia Tech early in that game, let's be honest. I'm like, I got I to gotta switch. So I put Wake, North Carolina on the big screen. And it was just 
so fun to watch. And I know people are yelling, ah, well, where's the defense this year? How come nobody's playing defense? I don't care. I love seeing offense like that. And when you've got two guys at quarterback who are slinging the ball around like that, it's fun to watch. Everyone loves offense. Come on. I mean, let, let, let's be honest about it. And maybe that's because I'm biased because I'm in Florida and I went to the University of Florida when Steve Spreer was the head coach. I want to see offense. I want to see playmakers. I want to see incredible catches. And every two minutes, there was a combination of all of that. So it was a really fun game. I felt bad for Wake at the end. They blew a 21-point lead. Uh, but I do think that Wake showed that they could compete with a, a team like North Carolina, who was previously ranked in the top 25. They won that game a year ago. I think it was a terrific performance all the way around, and I was happy I got to watch it. The rule, Andrea, is that if that's the SEC, that's just hard-nosed football going back and forth, high scoring. But if it's every other conference, it's where's the defense? What's going on with that? Uh, we have to bring that up whenever it's a high-scoring game outside right. of the SEC. Uh, this this game felt like it was one of those, like, don't tweet about this too early. Because I think everybody was like, oh, Dave Clawson really got these guys going that blows a 21-point lead like that in like a, a second with 35 unanswered points by UNC. What are we going to make of the Tar Heels after this? This team has so much potential offensively. Uh, you know, they can look like, uh, you know, the 99 Rams, whatever that Kurt Warner team was that they're going up and down the field, just uh, completely overwhelming teams with this offense. And yet you still look at the schedule and you go, they lost to Florida State. Uh, they lost at UVA. I know UVA is a better team than people uh, are giving them credit for, but, you know, they flopped on the road twice this year. Uh, is, is UNC going to look back at this season, just be kicking itself about a missed opportunity? That might all depend on what happens against Notre Dame next week. And that's one of those games that's circled. Maybe a lot of people are taking it for granted that Notre Dame is going to win. But if North Carolina plays offense like that, that's going to be another fun game to watch considering the strides that Notre Dame has made offensively. The problem for North Carolina is the defense. And I don't think any of us really know who that defense is or what that defense is. I and mean, the way they played that first half against Florida State was inexplicable. And I've watched Florida State for many, many years, and that just should not have happened if you're North Carolina. You, you, sh you should not play that way on the road against a team that is clearly in rebuild mode, who has a quarterback that relies exclusively on making plays with his legs and occasionally he'll throw a pass or two. So we saw defensive breakdowns again against UVA and then obviously against Wake Forest. So when you've got the type of offense that they have, if you don't have a defense that can at least stop some people, uh, it, it's going to be a problem. And, and that's been the biggest issue. And one that I honestly, I didn't foresee it to be as bad as it's been. I mean, I don't think Chaz Surratt has been as impactful on that defense as he was a year ago. I know they're asking him to do a lot of different things. The defensive line perhaps is not as strong as it was a year ago. And so that just creates issues across the board. So I think it's been a head-scratching type of a year. But at the same time, as Mac Brown has said repeatedly, this is only year two. This is only year two for us. We're still learning how to win. And maybe these are the growing pains that come with a program that had been losing for several years before Mac Brown got there to turn them into a team that knows how to win games. 
I just want to say this to the UNC and the Notre Dame players. Please adhere to the protocols for that Black Friday game. Like, I just want to, like, clear the schedule. You know, I have no game that weekend, so I just have, like, an off weekend where I can watch football. I really want to see that game because I think that could be both highly entertaining and highly competitive. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I think it could be a high-scoring game, maybe not 59 to 53, but, um, uh, you know, even if Notre Dame loses that, they could still, you know, go to the uh, – the ACC title game like that. So it's not necessarily huge in implications for that, but I think it could be a highly entertaining game. Uh, the other game from last weekend, uh, the one that I was at that I thought was interesting, Miami pulling out a 25-24 win against Virginia Tech. Uh, this is a game the Hurricanes nearly didn't play. They had 13 guys out. They were right on the cusp of not being having enough offensive linemen uh, to play that game. And you would think uh, that team's going to struggle. And they did a little bit on the offensive line. Virginia Tech was able to put a lot of pressure on them but we've seen this year that that doesn't necessarily disqualify these teams from playing well in these games I mean I, I cover the opener with Virginia Tech and everybody said oh they're gonna get blown off the field by NC State they have all these these problems with the the protocols and guys missing time then they come out and play one of the best games they have this year so that's not necessarily indicative of how the game goes but still a pretty impressive performance by Miami by Miami to pull this out uh you know, missing so many guys. De'Ara King uh, played pretty well down the stretch. What did you think of Miami showing in that game and, and, you know, showing a little bit of metal to pull that out again? Miami winning games in the fourth quarter is something I'm still getting used to because that has not happened recently for Miami. In fact, they have played poorly in fourth quarters over the last several years, and they've also given up on their seasons the last couple of years. So to see Miami where it is right now at this point in the season, as a tribute to the players and also the job Manny Diaz has done. They haven't looked, as I said earlier, like a top 10 team, but they're a better team than they were a year ago because they're actually playing like a team. They're not giving up on themselves. They're making plays when the game is on the line, whether it's Derek King, whether it was Jalen Phillips on that defensive line a week ago who absolutely had the game of his, his life wreaking havoc in the backfield. They had some players in the secondary step up, uh, players on the defensive line because they were thin there. Uh, in the past, there would be this pervasive attitude of selfishness on that team and in the locker room and on the sideline. And now it feels as if they're playing for each other. And you can see that the last couple of games, they had to pull one out against NC State the week before. So they're working hard to establish the type of mentality that they want this program to have moving forward. And uh, I know these next two weeks where they're not going to be playing any games uh, are going to be challenging for them because then you got to pick it up and finish off a season. And there might really not be an ACC championship waiting for you to play at the end. So what are you playing for? That's been the big question at Miami. If they have nothing to play for, they don't care. But it looks like they care right now. So I don't want to make all of these big picture assumptions about where Miami is, but I am confident in saying that they are in a better spot this year in the middle of a pandemic than they were a year ago. You're right that no team packs it in more than the Hurricanes when there's nothing left to play for. I, I don't know if it's like the weather. They're like, all right, I'm just not going to worry too much about going up to Pittsburgh or something like that and playing. But, you know, last three weeks, five-point win against UVA, three-point win against NC State, coming from behind to win that one, uh, one-point win against Virginia Tech. You know, they were down 11 at two different times in that game. I think it's pretty impressive. I'm with you. I don't think – I don't quite buy the ranking 
with uh, Miami. I think they're 12th in the AP poll, 9th in the coaches poll. That seems a bit high to me, uh, just watching them on the field. And, and perhaps that's partly some of the guys they were missing on the offensive line. But, you know, 7-1 is 7-1. Uh, you know, you are what your record is. Is that the, the old Bill Parcells saying? Uh, they're finding ways to win this game. And, uh, you know, I think UNC at Miami coming up on December 12th, that could be a pretty fun game too, uh, you know, provided we get that far. Hopefully we do. On the flip sideline, Virginia Tech, uh, four and four now. They've lost three of four. Uh, you know, lost to Liberty in a heartbreaking fashion. Lose to Miami at the end. The offense can't get it done after the defense played a little bit better. Uh, fan angst is pretty high on Justin Fuente. I would say at this point, uh, I'm sort of in the middle of it. So I, I, you know, I read the message boards and stuff like that. I find them somewhat comical sometimes. But it is the people are are you know checking out on Fuente at this point. I'm curious from somebody, uh, you know, not in Blacksburg, we, how do you view the Hokies and how they've played this year? Yeah, you know, started out pretty well, even though they had some of the COVID issues. They have trailed off here lately, and, you know, they have a tough road a- ahead. Pittsburgh, Clemson, and UVA, none of those are gimmies, and certainly Clemson is an extremely tall task. They might struggle to get to 500 to finish this season. You asked me earlier about North Carolina, who are they? And I feel like I want to ask you, who's Virginia Tech? Because this is a team at the beginning of the season that looked really strong, even though they were missing so many players. And now they can't, it just doesn't feel like anything's fitting together for them the way that it did at the beginning of the year. I don't know what happened the last couple of weeks. I don't know if the Herbert injury had something to do with it last week against uh, Miami, but it has been hard to watch Virginia Tech because they are better than what they've shown. I firmly believe they're a better team than what they've shown. And now at four and four, when you look at these very difficult games coming up and you're right, they could lose all of them. That's when you start to ask what, what is that locker room made of? What do they have to play for right now? They're four and four. They're in the middle of a pandemic. Do they care? Do they care about the way that they finish? Are the players invested the way that they need to be invested to be able to win the games that are left? Pitt is a winnable game and so is UVA, but they're also losable games. You know, Clemson's in a different category. So the question then becomes, is Justin Fuente the guy to lead the program into the future? Because this is five years now. And after the first year, what has Virginia Tech really done? That's the question. And I don't really have a good answer for that, especially when you look at the last couple of years and the turmoil that they have had in that locker room and the players coming out and voicing opinions against Justin Fuente. I like Justin Fuente. I think he's a good coach. I've got a great relationship with him, but his style is so completely different than Frank Beamer. And I think that has caused some of the issues in the fan base because they don't view him in the same way that they viewed Frank. Now, whether that's fair to Justin or not, that's a completely different discussion. But because he doesn't have the same type of goodwill in Blacksburg and among the those fans and those donors, I think that's causing a bigger problem than maybe it would have if we were in a regular season and there was no pandemic. Yeah, Frank certainly had a lot of equity 
with this fan base uh, made the program what it was. And I think that helped him in those last couple years. I mean, this program uh, has not, you know, been what it was since 2011, really, except for that one year in 2016 with Gerard Evans as the quarterback. But, you know, Frank Beamer's last four years were really a struggle. And that's sort of where they are right now. So you kind of wonder about the program. Uh, you know, is it past its heyday? Is this sort of what Virginia Tech is, where it sits, uh, uh, you know, on the revenue source? I mean, they're like 35th or something like that of the public schools in terms of revenue per year. You wonder if this was a program that maybe punched above its weight class for a long time. This is more what it's like or not. Uh, Fuente, you're right, is is a departure from Frank. Frank was this, you know, avuncular, kindly old man. He's dancing in the locker room and stuff like that. Everybody loved Frank. Everybody loved him. And if Fuente does not have that personality, uh, you know, he doesn't help his cause much. He doesn't really open up too much. He doesn't really open the program up much. And I think that hurts him a little bit with this fan base as well. They don't feel as connected to it and as, as invested to it. Uh, you mentioned, is he the right guy to lead this program? And, you know, these losses lately, people are bringing up the buyout number again. It's $12.5 million right now. It'd be $10 million as of December 15th. I look at that number during a pandemic when these schools are saying they're going to lose 40 to $50 million short of their budget and, and all the money that's, that's lost from that. The uncertainty going forward. I mean, you know, I know there's good news with vaccines and stuff like that, but I would not start counting on 100% full stadiums ne- next fall quite yet. Uh, I know South Carolina bit the bullet on Will Muschamp, and that was a $13, $15 million buyout, something like that. Uh, do you think there is a hot seat this year at all in the ACC? Could could Fuente possibly find himself on that, or is that just a bridge too far financially for any of these schools? In the ACC in particular, I do think it's a bridge too far. The ACC is not bringing in SEC money. They're just not. And so if you're a school like South Carolina, perhaps you feel like you can make it work somehow, even though it's going to cost you a ton of money and it's a bad look in the middle of a pandemic, especially if you then go ahead and make budget cuts. Furloughs and stuff. Exactly. After you've decided to pay $13 million to someone not to coach. Oh, and by the way, adding whatever the new salaries are going to be in the SEC, that's minimum $5 million a year for a head coach. In the ACC, it's just a completely different dynamic. I don't know that Virginia Tech just has $10 million lying around to go pay a buyout and then can do a search and then can pay a new coach three and a half to $4 million a year when everything is so horrible right now financially because of the pandemic. And they haven't had any fans in their stands, Virginia Tech. There's some ACC schools that have at least had 15 20%. The Virginia schools haven't had anybody. So that's zero right there um, where some schools maybe are making a little bit more than that. So for me, if I'm an athletic director, it's a very hard sell to go into my budget meeting and say, okay, we're going to make a change. We're going to pay 10 million to get rid of the coach. We're going to now give a $30 million contract to new coach and his staff, but we also might have to lay off and furlough people or we might have to cut a program. It's very difficult and challenging right now. But, but, here's the but. If you feel as if there is no future and this person that's leading your program is not the right person for the job, or if relationships are frayed, or if the vision is no longer shared, then that's a tougher discussion to have because you're putting yourself an extra year behind a rebuild 
if you're doing it just because of what the look is going to be financially. So that to me is the bigger question for Whit Babcock and the folks at Virginia Tech and for Justin Fuente. Are they all in alignment? Do they all believe in the vision for the football program? And if they are and they do, then okay, you bite the bullet uh, and, and have them back. But if they're not and the relationships aren't working anymore, then that's a deeper discussion to have. Yeah, I, I do think the relationship there is a little bit frayed on that whole Baylor flirtation last mm-hmm. year. I think that maybe is a slightly strange relationship there between the head coach and the athletic director. But uh, for a program like Virginia Tech that has resources what they are, they're stretched as they are, to stretch them even further and do it right now. And, uh, you know, it's not like there's some hotshot name out there on the coaching carousel that's like, this guy's can't miss. You got to get this guy. And, and quite honestly, Justin Fuente kind of was that guy he was. when he was hired in that cycle. And then on top of that, I mean, think about how difficult it is to recruit in a pandemic. I mean, these coaches that would be coming into these programs, I mean, that is a tough situation where you can't visit anybody uh, trying to put together a class. And then are you going to be able to practice in the spring? Are you going to be able to implement new schemes? There's just a lot of stuff that uh, would make you think, no, uh, it'd be tough. You just can't make a change right now. But this is football and donors are crazy about stuff. And, you know, if Virginia Tech's sitting here four and seven, you know, four weeks from now, uh, having lost to UVA for a second straight time, maybe that's a different discussion at this point. Right now, I feel like it's a bit premature, though. Let's go through the games real quick uh, this week. Uh, the one, this line is ridiculous. Clemson, 34 and a half point favorites at Florida State. Nearly as big of a favorite as UVA is against Abilene Christian. Uh, this is amazing to me these, that these programs have gone in such divergent paths in the last couple of years. In 2016, this is not ancient history. Number three, Clemson beat number 12, Florida State, 37 to 34. And now we're talking about Florida State. You know, can they stay within five touchdowns of Clemson? And no, I don't feel like they can. I feel like Clemson can just go out there and pick the number. Uh, you know, Florida State was once the flagship program of the ACC, and it is on hard times right now. Uh, I know you're writing something about that program. Uh, what is rock bottom for this team? Does it have to reach rock bottom before it can kind of pull out of this thing? Yes, it has to reach rock bottom before it can pull out. And we're going to have a fairly extensive look at the downfall of Florida State going back to 2013 on ESPN.com. And it's really remarkable how far the program has fallen considering where they were just seven years ago. National champions, undefeated, Jameis Winston. Jimbo is sitting there holding up that trophy, and he's on top of the world, and it looks like the good times are going to last forever at Florida State. But there was dysfunction uh, in the administration. There was not a shared vision. Jimbo's pushing for facilities. They're not giving him the money for facilities. He's seeing what Clemson is building, and he knows he's about to get overtaken by Clemson on the facility front with Dabo World, and he can't even get anybody to agree to fund a football facility. In fact, Florida State's uh, football facilities are shared uh, with classrooms. Regular students go and take class inside that building. So he saw it coming. He saw Clemson coming. And there was so much pushback that he was getting. The culture in the locker room starts deteriorating because now you get guys who are coming in, they're hot shot, five-star recruits. They don't think they got to practice hard. And so it just became this snowball effect that has lingered and lasted. And once you lose the culture in the locker room, It's very hard to get it back. 
And I've talked to several former Florida State players who have told me it's not on the coaches, it's on those players. Do they want to take accountability for themselves and and be better than what they are? Do they want to work harder than what they've been working? Do they want to put in the extra time and the work to get Florida State back to where it was? They prided themselves on being a player-led team. When you had guys like Jameis Winston and LaMarcus Joyner taking the initiative, being the alpha dogs, they don't have that. And they have not had that for years. So Florida State right now is just an accumulation of the last several that have rolled downhill. And I don't know if this is rock bottom. I think rock bottom is losing to Duke at the end of the season and only finishing with two wins. And you're Florida State and you have two wins and you've just lost to Duke to close your season. I don't think they can start building back until that happens, if it happens. If they go two and nine in Mike Norvell's first year, I mean, that's worse than Willie Taggart did in his two years here. There uh, is that recoverable for him? I mean, I don't want to judge any coach too harshly in a pandemic. I mean, he comes in, you know, scraps together a recruiting class like all coaches do when they get hired, and then he has no spring to to put stuff into place. Uh, is that recoverable for him? Can he come back from that? I don't think Florida State's going to have a choice. They are so financially strapped right now. They're one of the few schools in the ACC that has announced widespread budget cuts and layoffs and furloughs 20% across the board for everybody. And that includes Mike Norvell, who took a pay cut, just like a lot of other coaches have in the league. Uh, And it's not going to get better. It's not going to get better financially. There will be more cuts at Florida State. They still don't have plans for a football facility. They're still using the same facility that they've used for years and years. Now, there are folks inside Florida State who think that they can win with what they have. But I would counter and say, when you've got Clemson with what they have and Florida now building an $85 million standalone football facility, if you're Florida State, you can't sit there and just be the same way that you've always been. You have to try and figure out a solution. And so because the finances are in such dire straits right now, Mike Norvell's it. He's the guy. And yeah, you're right. The fans are already upset. The fans are already upset. They're already on message boards, already complaining about Mike Norvell. But they have to have patience in this situation because if anything, this season has shown that it wasn't 100% on Willie Taggart. There were issues there. They made mistakes in that in that staff and with what they did and the way Florida state looked, but does Florida state look like a better coached team this year than they did last year to me, besides that North Carolina game, the answer is no. And so then you start to say, is it again on the players? What does Mike Norvell have to do? It's been an extremely challenging time. They're basically playing only freshmen and sophomores at this point. Um, Chubba Purdy's out for the season. They're going to try to play an injured Jordan Travis against Clemson so they don't throw the other freshmen out there. So it's a uh, disaster scenario right now for Florida State, and that might be putting it kindly. Good luck with that going up against Clemson. Just quickly, two other games that I find interesting in the ACC this week. Virginia Tech, a three-and-a-half-point favorite at Pitt. Uh, that historically is not a place that Virginia Tech plays very well. Uh, the strength is their, of their team is the running game, the strength of Pitt. Obviously, they don't give up any rushing yards. Uh, what do you see in that matchup? I, I kind of like Pitt in that. I kind of like Pitt, too. It really depends on uh, Kenny Pickett, to be honest. That That's the bottom line. In the games that he did not play, Pitt 
didn't do very well. And the games that he did play, they did better. Uh, the defense is going to be there and they're going to make plays. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech's going to have to figure out a way to make plays in the passing game, which I think is an area where they can make some plays on Pitt. You know, Paris Ford has opted out for them. There have been some explosive plays made on that Pitt secondary. If Kenny Pickett can make some plays, then I think the advantage is to Pitt. But Pitt also struggles running the ball. And that, to me, has been such a conundrum the last two seasons watching them with their inability to run. You think Pitt, you think, all right, 200 yards a game rushing, and it hasn't happened uh, in quite some time. So it's not as if there's uh, an an over-the-top strength for Pitt going into this game. There are going to be areas for Virginia Tech to take advantage of as well. So I also lean Pitt, but I don't think it's a slam dunk by any stretch. Yeah, there is some cognitive dissonance about Pittsburgh, this tough steel town, and they're like airing it out 25 times a game. That just doesn't compute uh, in my mind about that. The other game, I can't believe this is a game that's like circled, but Liberty at NC State. Going into the year, I would have not have thought this would be a game that we'd be looking at. NC State, three and a half point favorite, but watch out. I mean, Liberty is number 21 in the AP poll, has beaten Syracuse. Everybody beats Syracuse. Beats Virginia Tech on the road at the end of that one. Malik Willis is a real problem there, quarterback. Uh, could this be another one? Could the Flames – should we put the Flames in the ACC title game if they win this? They'll be 3-0 and against ACC teams. Well, I know my daughter would want to because she picked Liberty to beat Virginia Tech. And I said to her, didn't you try to talk her out of that? You're like, no, 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 you don't want this. I was like, like, I got it. She's like, they're unbeaten. I'm like, but but their schedule, you don't understand the strength of schedule. Try to talk to a nine-year-old about strength of schedule. It doesn't work. So I was wrong about it. I I actually have not asked her yet who she's going to pick. I pretty sure she's going to pick Liberty because again, they're undefeated um, Roll with it at this point. Right. Right. So, you know, NC state to me is a team that nobody is talking about in the ACC, but they could actually finish eight and three, which at the beginning of the year, uh, I don't think any of us would have had penciled in for NC state, um, especially with the way they, they started out. So, Uh, You know, I I do think that Bailey Hockman has made some strides at quarterback. People thought I was, um, you know, watching a different game last week when I said that. They're like, it's Florida State. I'm like, no, 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 trust me. He looks better than he did at the beginning of the year, and he looks better than he did last year. So um, I'm still going to pick the ACC team probably because of, you know, hashtag go ACC bias, but it's not out of the realm of possibility for Liberty to win. Their offense is terrific. I mean, their offense um, would would challenge, I think, just about everyone besides maybe the top three teams in the ACC. Um, they certainly would challenge North Carolina, given the way they've played defensively. So um, I think Liberty is going to be in this game until the end. And I do think NC State should be on upset watch. Absolutely. If Liberty wins this, I'm writing in Hugh Freeze as the ACC coach of the year <laughs> at the end of the year. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We, we've held you for too long here. You're very gracious with your time. We appreciate it. Everybody should go read her work. Uh, you know, follow her on Twitter at A. Adelson, at e- a. Adelson ESPN. It's a mouthful there. Uh, <laughs> go go check out that David Shaw story and the video. It was exceptional, both of them. I'm looking forward to the Florida State piece this week. Uh, Andrea, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Andy. I appreciate it. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. That's another good one in the books. Thanks to everybody for listening to this. Uh, again, we appreciate your feedback. 
Uh, I know people listen to this on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all over the place. Go on there. Give us a review. We prefer five stars. We'll take four stars, but maybe five stars. I think it sounds like a five-star podcast. Uh, if you do that, that helps us get the word out to people that might not know about it. Uh, if you want to tell people about it, too, you don't just have to do it online. You can tell them in person. Uh, go listen to this great ACC podcast on The Athletic. We take all the listeners we can, and we really do enjoy the feedback. You should go subscribe to The Athletic, too. Uh, we have all sorts of great stuff over there. Uh, and when you get a subscription, you get not only just college football or not only just the team you follow, Virginia Tech, something like that. You get every sport uh across the site you know soccer across the 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 ocean there all the professional sports college sports uh it's a really good deal go there theathletic.com slash acc pod it's one dollar a week that's the deal we have going on that's a pretty good deal you can work that into your budget i think you can so that's gonna do it for this week you come follow me on uh twitter i'm at andy bitter vt uh, i'll be tweeting throughout my game uh, this week coming up at Pittsburgh. Obviously have some ACC thoughts on that as well. We'll be coming back next week as well, uh, talking about that big UNC-Notre Dame matchup that uh, I think could be a pretty fun one. So we should have some fun with that. That'll do it for this show. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.